Chapter six of El Dorado by Baroness Orzy, read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in June two thousand and seven. Chapter six The Committee's Agent. It was a narrow, ill ventilated place, with but one barred window that gave on the courtyard. An evil smelling lamp hung by a chain from the grimy ceiling, and in a corner of the room a tiny iron stove shed more unpleasant vapour than warm glow around. There was but little furniture two or three chairs, a table which was littered with papers, and a corner cupboard, the open doors of which revealed a miscellaneous collection, bundles of papers, a tin saucepan, a piece of cold sausage, and a couple of pistols. The fumes of stale tobacco-smoke hovered in the air, and mingled most unpleasantly with those of the lamp above, and of the mildew that penetrated through the walls just below the roof. Heron pointed to one of the chairs, and then sat down on the other, close to the table, on which he rested his elbow. He picked up a short-stemmed pipe, which he had evidently laid aside at the sound of the bell, and having taken several deliberate, long-drawn puffs from it, he said abruptly, "'Well, what is it now?' In the meanwhile, de Batz had made himself as much at home in this uncomfortable room as he possibly could. He had deposited his hat and cloak on one rickety rush-bottomed chair, and drawn another close to the fire. He sat down with one leg crossed over the other, his podgy, beringed hand wandering with loving gentleness down the length of his shapely calf. He was nothing if not complacent, and his complacency seemed highly to irritate his friend Heron. "'Well, what is it?' reiterated the latter, drawing his visitor's attention roughly to himself by banging his fist on the table. "'Out with it! What do you want? Why have you come at this hour of the night to compromise me, I suppose, bringing your own damned neck and mine into the same noose, what?' "'Easy, easy, my friend,' responded de Batz imperturbably. "'Waste not so much time in idle talk. Why do I usually come to see you?' Surely you have had no cause to complain hitherto of the unprofitableness of my visits to you. They will have to be still more profitable to me in the future, growled the other across the table. I have more power now. I know you have, said de Batz suavely. The new decree, what? You may denounce whom you please, search whom you please, arrest whom you please, and send whom you please to the supreme tribunal without giving them the slightest chance of escape. Is it in order to tell me all this that you have come to see me at this hour of the night? queried Heron with a sneer. No, I came at this hour of the night because I surmised that in the future you and your hell-hounds would be so busy all day beating up game for the guillotine, that the only time you would have at the disposal of your friends would be the late hours of the night. I saw you at the theatre a couple of hours ago, friend Heron. I didn't think to find you yet abed. Well, what do you want? Rather, retorted de Batz blandly, shall we say, what do you want, citizen Heron? For what? for my continued immunity at the hands of yourself and your pack." Heron pushed his chair brusquely aside, and strode across the narrow room, deliberately facing the portly figure of de Batz, who, with head slightly inclined on one side, his small eyes narrowed till they appeared mere slits in his pockmarked face, was steadily and quite placidly contemplating this inhuman monster, who had this very day been given uncontrolled power over hundreds of thousands of human lives. Heron was one of those tall men who look mean in spite of their height. His head was small and narrow, and his hair, which was sparse and lank, fell in untidy strands across his forehead. He stooped slightly from the neck, and his chest, though wide, was hollow between the shoulders. But his legs were big and bony, slightly bent at the knees, like those of an ill-conditioned horse. His face was thin, and the cheeks sunken. The eyes, very large and prominent, had a look in them of cold, ferocious cruelty, 
a look which contrasted strangely with the weakness and petty greed apparent in the mouth, which was flabby, with full, very red lips, and chin that sloped away to the long, thin neck. Even at this moment, as he gazed on de Batz, the greed and the cruelty in him were fighting one of those battles, the issue of which is always uncertain in men of his stamp. "'I don't know,' he said slowly, "'that I am prepared to treat with you any longer.' You are an intolerable bit of vermin that has annoyed the Committee of General Security for over two years now. It would be excessively pleasant to crush you once and for all, as one would a buzzing fly." "'Pleasant, perhaps, but immeasurably foolish,' rejoined de Batz coolly. "'You would only get thirty-five livres for my head, and I offer you ten times that amount for the self-same commodity.' "'I know, I know. But the whole thing has become too dangerous.' Why? I am very modest. I don't ask a great deal. Let your hounds keep off my scent. You have too many damned confederates. Oh! Never mind about the others. I am not bargaining about them. Let them look after themselves. Every time we get a batch of them, one or the other denounces you. Under torture, I know, rejoined de Batz placidly, holding his podgy hands to the warm glow of the fire. For you have started torture in your house of justice now, eh, friend Heron? You and your friend the public prosecutor have gone the whole gamut of devilry, eh?" "'What's that to you?' retorted the other, gruffly. "'Oh, nothing, nothing. I was even proposing to pay you three thousand five hundred livres, for the privilege of taking no further interest in what goes on inside this prison.' Three thousand five hundred! ejaculated Heron involuntarily, and this time even his eyes lost their cruelty. They joined issue with the mouth in an expression of hungering avarice. Two little zeros added to the thirty-five, which is all you would get for handing me over to your accursed tribunal," said de Batz, and, as if thoughtlessly, his hand wandered to the inner pocket of his coat, and a slight rustle as of thin, crisp paper brought drops of moisture to the lips of Heron. "'Leave me alone for three weeks, and the money is yours,' concluded de Batz pleasantly. There was silence in the room now. Through the narrow, barred window the steely rays of the moon fought with the dim yellow light of the oil-lamp, and lit up the pale face of the committee's agent, with its lines of cruelty and sharp conflict with those of greed. "'Well, is it a bargain?' asked de Batz, at last, in his usual smooth, oily voice, as he half drew from out of his pocket that tempting little bundle of crisp, printed paper. "'You have only to give me the usual receipt for the money, and it is yours.' Heron gave a vicious snarl. It is dangerous, I tell you. That receipt, if it falls into some cursed meddler's hands, would send me straight to the guillotine." "'The receipt could only fall into alien hands,' rejoined de Batz blandly, if I happened to be arrested. And even in that case they could but fall into those of the chief agent of the Committee of General Security, and he hath name Heron. You must take some risks, my friend. I take them too. We are in each other's hands. The bargain is quite fair." For a moment or two longer, Heron appeared to be hesitating, whilst de Batz watched him with keen intentness. He had no doubt himself as to the issue. He had tried most of these patriots in his own golden crucible, and had weighed their patriotism against Austrian money, and had never found the latter wanting. He had not been here to-night, if he were not quite sure. This inveterate conspirator in the royalist cause never took personal risks. He looked on Heron now, smiling to himself the while with perfect satisfaction. "'Very well,' said the committee's agent, with sudden decision. "'I'll take the money. But on one condition. What is it? That you leave little Capet alone.' "'The Dauphin?' "'Call him what you like,' said Heron, taking a step nearer to de Batz, and from his great height glowering down in fierce hatred and rage upon his accomplice. "'Call the young devil what you like. 
but leave us to deal with him. To kill him, you mean. Well, how can I prevent it, my friend? You and your like are always plotting to get him out of here. I won't have it. I tell you, I won't have it. If the brat disappears, I am a dead man. Robespierre and his gang have told me as much. So you leave him alone, or I'll not raise a finger to help you, but will lay my own hands on your accursed neck. He looked so ferocious and so merciless then, that despite himself, the selfish adventurer, the careless self-seeking intriguer, shuddered with a quick wave of unreasoning terror. He turned away from Heron's piercing gaze, the gaze of a hyena whose prey is being snatched from beneath its nails. For a moment he stared thoughtfully into the fire. He heard the other man's heavy footsteps cross and recross the narrow room, and was conscious of the long curved shadow creeping up the mildewed wall, or retreating down upon the carpetless floor. Suddenly, without any warning, he felt a grip upon his shoulder. He gave a start, and almost uttered a cry of alarm which caused Heron to laugh. The committee's agent was vastly amused at his friend's obvious access of fear. There was nothing that he liked better than that he should inspire dread in the hearts of all those with whom he came in contact. "'I am just going on my usual nocturnal round,' he said abruptly. "'Come with me, Citizen de Batz.' A certain grim humour was apparent in his face as he preferred this invitation, which sounded like a rough command. As de Batz seemed to hesitate, he nodded peremptorily to him to follow. Already he had gone into the hall and picked up his lantern. From beneath his waistcoat he drew forth a bunch of keys, which he rattled impatiently, calling to his friend to come. "'Come, Citizen.' he said roughly, I wish to show you the one treasure in this house which your damned fingers must not touch. Mechanically de Batz rose at last. He tried to be master of the terror which was invading his very bones. He would not own to himself even that he was afraid, and almost audibly he kept murmuring to himself that he had no cause for fear. Heron would never touch him. The spy's avarice, his greed of money, were a perfect safeguard for any man who had the control of millions, and Heron knew, of course, that he could make of this inveterate plotter a comfortable source of revenue for himself. Three weeks would soon be over, and fresh bargains could be made time and again, while de Batz was alive and free. Heron was still waiting at the door, even whilst de Batz wondered what this nocturnal visitation would reveal to him of atrocity and of outrage. He made a final effort to master his nervousness, wrapped his cloak tightly around him, and followed his host out of the room. End of chapter 6